I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Eve Lazarus is back and with a new book, Cold Case BC, the stories behind the province's most intriguing murder and missing person cases. It's a gripping read and it's not all doom and gloom either. Eve, with her engaging and thorough investigation, showcases some important, notable and fascinating cases. She also features a couple of cases where a little more information has resulted in a little more closure. One case, the, the famous uh, Babes in the Woods case, um, through Eve's reporting earlier this year, finally revealed the names of uh, two tiny skeletons found in Stanley Park in 1953. I'll get Eve to tell us more about that case, as well as uh, the other cases in the book. She writes about the notorious Judge David Ramsey in Prince George, who preyed upon and uh, sexually assaulted teenage girls, girls who were vulnerable, some uh, who even appeared before him in court. I'll also ask Eve to reflect on her work, the great library of books she's published over the last 15 years, as well as what motivates her to look at these often dark cases. We'll hear, too, how uh, she approaches her work, the care she takes, talking to family members of victims, those affected by by, uh, often horrific crimes. Eve Lazarus is a reporter, Uh, author and uh, the host and producer of the true crime podcast Cold Case Canada. Her previous books, Cold Case Vancouver, Blood, Sweat and Fear, the story of Inspector Vance, Murder by Milkshake, and Vancouver Exposed, uh, searching for the city's hidden history. Her website is at evelazarus.com, where she maintains a popular blog, Every Place Has a Story. This uh, new book is published by Arsenal Pulp Press. Please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online program, Eve Lazarus. Miss Lazarus, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Nice to, uh, to good morning, and nice to talk to you again. So nice to be back. Thank you for having me. Um, I was just telling you, this is a, such a fascinating uh, book uh, because the the what I found interesting is the sort of um, the choices that you made in terms of the cases that you put in the book. Because the book could be two or three times the size that it is. I mean, thinking of all the things that, that one would want to write about, say. Um, do you find when you're, when you're writing a book like this that it's difficult to, to, say, narrow it down, if you will? Yeah, that, that was one of the hardest things for me. And sadly, there is no shortage of cases. Mm. Um, I had got hundreds to choose from in, in all areas. And as you know, because uh, I broken the, the book down into three sort of sections, although all the cases are mixed in together, but I wanted to look at unsolved cases, very old unsolved cases. Yeah. I wanted to look at missing persons cases this time, which I haven't done before, particularly children. And I also wanted to look at cases, cold cases that were solved after a really long time and uh, at some of the, the methods that they used to solve them and, and to really give some people some hope, right, that... Um, Maybe something could happen with, it, with their families in the future. Yeah, when we when we hear the the the, uh, the phrase "cold case," we think that this is going to be cases that people can can read about and then perhaps uh, I don't know contact their authorities, which you you do suggest at the beginning of the book. But but there are a number of cases in here that that have been solved, and I found that fascinating because um, th- that's important for for us to realize that th- these things, regardless of how much time they. T- I mean, you take the, the babes in the woods, for example. This is a case that's fascinated so many people for so many years, and um, I can't do the math in my head. But after decades, yeah, it's, um, it's seventy years. Yeah, after yeah. I mean, I remember seeing that in February, and, and it, my jaw dropped when I saw that online um, that you'd posted this blog that um, this case had 
um, not necessarily been solved, but we were finally able to get names to the, the two to the two boys, right? Well, I think that was the most important thing as well that that, that they are identified, and I think that's what gripped everyone in Vancouver that you know these two little boys could you know be not missed for decades and and not knowing their names. So I think knowing something about them and their family it was a sense of closure. And then this is a sort of break that 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 a journalist, a historian like yourself, I mean this is this is something that that. Um, this doesn't happen very often, does it, when you're, when you're looking at cold cases especially? Well, I write about history and cold cases, you're right, so no, I don't get to break many stories at all, ever. So uh, th- this was actually just serendipity, I think, that um, I came across it. And it's something I've been obsessed about since, oh God, the late 80s, I guess, when I first heard about it and saw it in the police museum. And yeah. at that stage, they still had the skulls on display, the real skulls, mm. you can believe it. So, so you, you write in the book, so this happened all in February 2022. You actually mentioned that, that you'd gotten a tip that the VPD had identified or, or had names for, the, for the, two, uh, the two boys, the two children that were murdered. Um, how did you get ahead of them in terms of, say, uh, uh, telling us about what happened? Uh, well, I knew that from a couple of sources, and I've been following this really closely because they've been trying to identify the DNA for years. And um, the coroner's service just given up hope, really, because, the, you know, their bones were so degraded and there was so little of them that they didn't think they'd be able to do it. And then finally they, they did. And uh, they had a breakthrough on the older boy, the older skeleton, and uh-huh. were able to, to get some DNA, which was just absolutely amazing. Um, but by then, I, I knew that they'd um, given it out to a, a genetic uh, genealogy company in the States, and uh, it was confirmed that they had their names, but um, it, that was all. I didn't know who they were or anything about it. And I was waiting for the press conference with VPD like everybody else. Uh-huh. And then uh, I got uh, a messenger note from a young lady who said that um, they were, in fact, her great uncle that the police had been round to her mother and um, had told her that they were the babes in the woods. And the family had no idea. They had never heard the story, didn't know anything about the babes in the woods. And um, were, were just really, you know, sort of horrified and had Googled it and came across my podcast on the babes in the woods and um, Ali had got in touch with me. And she told me the story and had um, kindly sent me a number of the photos of, of the boys and told me that, you know, it's a very sad story. The family had always been told that they were taken away by child services because mm. they were very poor. Mm-hmm. And there was an older sister who was um, Ali's grandmother. And um, the story in the family was, um, you know, that, that they'd been taken and, and that was it. And it was very sad and they didn't want to talk about it and, and all of that stuff. And Ali had um, sent her DNA off to Ancestry.com or one of those. Yeah. Um, databases in the states mm-hmm. and and, um, and and put it in there and she'd hoped to find them you know because they would have been in their 80s right her, her great uncles or if not find them you know maybe find their children or grandchildren and, and connect and at the same time her grandmother um, back in the had still been uh, alive and uh, they'd taken her DNA because they wanted to find out a bit more about the heritage before she was quite Sick, apparently. Yeah, it took um, a swab, right? Yeah, took a swab and, and sent it off. And so when they went, uh, when they got the DNA from the bones 
and put it into the system, you know, clang, clang, out came the names in the family, and very quickly, apparently. Yeah, the, the, that, that um, even reading it a second time in your book, um, it, it, it was just exciting to read, and, and it, it makes me wonder about these DNA companies. I mean, we're warned that we shouldn't be uh, sending our DNA to a, 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 a private company like that, but, I mean, in a case like uh, this, I mean, it, it really broke it wide open, and, and this could not have happened, say, 25, 30 Five years. years ago, right? Five years, Five years ago, really? exactly, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And you've seen uh, south of the border, they're solving so many of these cases, you know, the unsolved murders. And also, more importantly, I, I think, identifying, you know, the remains of missing people. Mm. And, and so the families can get closure, and um, like they did with the Basin Woods. Um, but yeah, if you read the um, other story that was solved, that Jay Cook and, and Tanya Van Cullenberg, right. two mm-hmm. teenagers from... I mean, that was just astounding as well that um, they were able to solve that 40 years later um, by just um, going through the DNA that had been left at the crime scene and um, finding this killer who had never done anything again or before uh, that was in the system and they never would have got him uh, without this genetic genealogy. So it really is quite stunning. But again, you're right. I mean, there's, you know, privacy concerns. I, I would think twice, I think, before spitting into a tube, yeah. having my DNA out there. It's, but there are a lot of controls on it. And um, as far as the databases, you actually have to opt in um, to allow law enforcement to get hold of your DNA to search. And um, I, But I think that's different with missing people. I don't think they need to do that now. Right. It seems to change all the time, but they have strengthened it up after the Golden Gate um, killer was caught, right. Golden State killer. Yeah. Uh, he was kind of the first one, and um, it, it was a lot of, you know, um, problems with that because no one was told. They just went into all the profiles that they had and lied about it and, and then found him. The marvelous thing that you do once you you, you sort of break the uh, the case, if you will, or, or solve this, uh, you get a, a lead like like uh, through DNA, is you're able to fill in sort of the blanks. Who 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 are the two boys? Who who are their relatives? What was happening in their families' lives? Uh, the the two people that from Sanitary you mentioned. I mean, that's a case that we we heard in the news when when um, that was sort of you know the the, identi- the, the identities were were um, revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, as as the historian, you as the journalist, are able to to tell us these stories. It's just so captivating to read about uh, what was happening in people's lives and 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 what led them to say the the, the fate that they got they they had. Um, is it fun for you still? I mean, fifteen years later, since the first book, to 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 write about history as you do. Yeah, um, fun. It's a bit hard. <laughs> With the cold cases, especially right. the unsolved, yeah. and, and I do deal with the families and friends and law enforcement when I can and stuff like that. So it can be pretty grueling, actually, because um, I do get really involved. You know, I get to know these victims really well, and I care about them. And I care about the families, and you know, I really like them to get some answers. Although that probably is not going to happen. Um, you know, you always sort of hold out hope that some tips going to happen. But with these cold cases that happened long before DNA came out in the 90s, uh, police just didn't look after evidence. You know, case Mm. after case after case, I I find that, you know, the murder weapon and all the, you know, blood evidence has just been
been thrown out. So even though we've got the capacity to solve it now through genetic genealogy, it's just not going to happen because there's nothing to, to submit. Yeah, and um, back to babe, the Babes in the Woods for, for just a sec here. Uh, two days after you, you, you uh, posted the blog piece, um, someone wrote, writes you and says they have information on it. And, and the fascinating thing about that is that this was something that was um, gotten secondhand, I guess. Um, from their, I'm trying to remember, it's their mother-in-law, I guess. Had, had yeah, and she had died years before, or years before even DNA had come yeah. out. Yeah, and so, so, so she she didn't come forward because um, a lot of the media coverage, I, I guess, suggested that what she saw was probably not right. Yeah, although, you know, she was sure of it, right. you know, according to, to this woman, that, you know, she told them that she was sure that, them, yeah. You know, so the, for, for for she people listening, for people yeah. listening, this what what it was was she, she saw uh, the woman go into the park with the two children. Um, uh, she she knew that they were two boys, and then she she hears, I guess, in the media coverage subsequent that the, it was a boy and a girl. Um, uh, and then she sees the woman later coming out of the park without the children. So and and she swears that this is this was this was the case, right? Yeah, yeah, because she'd seen her in the washroom, I gather. So she'd, you know, seen her quite closely. And, you know, she told the kids that, you know, they, the newspapers got it wrong. It was yeah. you know, two, two boys. And they'd really encouraged her to go to the police, and, and she refused. I mean, she didn't trust them. She obviously, you know, had bad experiences or whatever. And it, um, although she probably, you know, she could have given a description, which would have been good, uh, because they don't have a description, and, and that information, you know, kind of useless, right? They weren't even sure of the date, except they were sure of the year um, because she was pregnant with um, this woman's husband. Right. So they yeah. knew, and so that sort of um, matched up with what the police thought. Yeah. And, and so do you get a lot of people writing you uh, because they, they've looked up the podcast, they've listened to the podcast, or they've read your blog posts over the years? Yeah, I do. I do. And so is, is a lot of it um, uh, good information, or do you get cranks and things like that? Oh, I get everything, but, you know, sometimes I do get really good information, and some of these books, you know, the stories I, I've picked because people have got in touch mm, with me right. after I've posted, and that's certainly the case with Brenda Byman, um, the little girl that went missing in, in 1961. Yeah. In Vermeer, that was, you know, came through family, and that was a bizarre story. So, yeah, de- definitely, and Jack family. Uh, you know, entire family goes missing, right? It's the first time in Can- Canadian history... And I'd never heard of it. It just, you know, someone, I think from the family at that point, probably two years ago, had got in touch with me on Facebook. And it was like, oh, my God, that's, you know, an incredible story. And, you know, I've worked with um, the sister of a missing woman uh-huh. on, on that case. And it's, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Two little boys, four and, you know, nine years old, and, and two 26-year-olds just gone. Not a trace of them ever found out of Prince George. Yeah, that's a, 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 a another fascinating part of the book where you talk about the, the Jack family. Um, it, it is a great privilege, isn't it, to, to to be in the position that you are? That people do turn to you. I mean, this is years after law enforcement. Um, they really feel that you can help them and and uh, gain closure for them. And uh, you know, I can't. Um, right. I, I, I wish I could, but I, mm. I can't. What I can do though is get the stories out and. 
I started this really after Cold Case Vancouver came out in 2015 because I'd worked really closely, you know, with families then. And there was kind of, that was it. The book was out and where do you go from there? So I started the Facebook page, just, you know, somewhere to remember them and, um, and where the family could talk. And that sort of morphed into a, a group page. And then I started going outside the book and just posting, you know, on the anniversary of mm-hmm. people, you know, going missing or, or they're uns- when they were murdered, when they were unsolved, and, and just, you know, really to remember them, if nothing else. Yeah. And, and really that's what it's for. It's to remember them and so they're just not forgotten. And maybe, maybe, you know, some tip will come forward. Um, but it hasn't. I mean, we've had a you know, few credible tips over the years that I've passed on to various police and mm-hmm. RCMP and, you know, whether that's been useful or not, I have no idea. Um, hopefully. But yeah. nothing's been solved. Yeah. So, you know, not that useful. Are, are you, as a, as a journalist, as a historian, are you frustrated when, 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 when people obviously know something but don't say anything? Yeah. Can you understand why they don't, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I do. You know, and most of the people that come through me are just scared of the police, mm. uh, and especially with Indigenous people I work with. And right. That took me a long time to understand, because um, I didn't. I, I'd say, well, why don't you just go to the police? Yeah. And there'd be dead silence. And, you know, one in one case, the daughter of a murdered woman said, he is the police. Mm. And, you know, I thought, oh, you know, come on. And then I started digging into it, and oh my God, you know, you look at what's gone on in Prince George over the years with um, David Ramsey, with the judge. Do you know this story? No. I, wrote, I write about it in the, the book on the Jack chapter, I think. Yeah, yeah, but to tell people listening to this who, who haven't picked up the book yet. I mean, yeah, he, he was a judge in Prince George for in the late 90s, uh, early 90s to sort of early 2000s, and he would sit in judgment of you know, a lot of indigenous girls were uh-huh. talking, you know, 12 years old and whatever, and a lot of them came from just hideous backgrounds and residential schools and just, you know, nightmare situations. A lot of them were addicts and some were sex workers because they didn't know anything else. So it sent judgment off them, then he picked them up for sex. And um, knowing their, you know, traumatized backgrounds yeah. and everything, used them all, you know, against them. And in one case, you know, a girl, she was 12 years old, a child, uh, reached for a condom, and he slammed her head into the dashboard, raped her, told her if she, you know, told anyone, he'd kill her, and she believed him, and threw her out and let her hitchhike back to Prince George naked. And, you know, that was repeated over and over, and four four of these girls came forward, which was so brave. Yeah, yeah. And they got him in the end, but, you know, on breach of trust and everything else, and he died in jail, hopefully a horrific death. Um, but... For that to go on for so long, you know, this was like 10 years that we know of, maybe longer in other places. Yeah. It's just so horrific to me. And, you know, then a couple of uh, RCMP officers up there were were charged with breach of trust because they were having sex with, you know, children, Uh uh, beating them up in some cases. And, like, these, the the children were, were framed as prostitutes and, you know, their mud shots were shown on the worst day of their life and you know drug addicts and you know like it was okay and I'm just so horrified by this neither by the way got charged Mm. for this one went back to work and the other one's been on paid leave I believe for about 20 years Um, so yeah when you hear these stories and and others you know from other parts that it it just you know makes your hair go back on you know back of your neck so yeah I completely understand now 
why there's so much fear and, and why they're not going to go approach police or RCMP. You've got two chapters in the book about cops, uh, co- cops that are murderers and then cops that are robbers. The robber story, by the way, is a fascinating caper uh, story um, that I think people will enjoy. Um, it, when you um, think about, um, because you do, you do think about um, the role that the, the, the police play, um, you mentioned this in the introduction about, uh, say, the frustration that you have as a journalist, as a, um, as a historian, in terms of getting information from the RCMP. Or um, you cite the Chelsea Portman case, for example, as, as sort of this recalcitrance on the part of the VPD in terms of providing information to the public. Um, this is, um, I guess, this is, this is one of the reasons why people don't trust the, the police or, or, or trust, say, our institutions. In, in, in the city, in the province, because of, um, say, um, the sort of wall that comes up that, that, that you encounter? It's a total lack of transparency. And, um, yeah, I, I hear this again from family after family after family that they just can't get any information at all um, from police. You know, decades go by. And in, in the case of the Jack family, Marlene was told early on that this is a sister, that if she went to the media or talked about it, police would lock her out of the investigation. Mm. And she believed them and um, didn't say anything and realised that she was locked out of the investigation anyway, that they, you know, as far as she knew, weren't doing anything. She, yeah, But, you know, she had no way of knowing because no one was talking to her. And she's gone really public. I mean, I really admire this woman. Yeah. She, you know, started a Facebook page and she's been relentless in going after police to do something about this. And it's working, I think. Um, but yeah, it just the, the police, and you know, I don't want to paint them all with the same brush because some of them have been incredibly helpful and, sure. and really, you know, it, it sticks. Fifty years later, this just you know kills some of these retired cops that haven't been able to solve it or do anything with it. Um, you know, they, they really, really care. Uh, but on the other hand. It, not giving out any information, um, you're not going to get any tips in. The case is just invisible again. So I don't really understand their reluctance to, to talk about these cases. You know, I've filed FOIs in the past for mm-hmm. cases that happened in the 50s and, and just been rejected, you know, after months of appeals and stuff, just, you know, because, oh, I'm sorry, it's unsolved. Yeah, but you're not working on it. Right. Yeah. You know, you're not doing anything with it. Half the time the cases haven't been digitised. So, you know, if a tip comes in, you know, do they go through 60 banker boxes to find out if that suspect's been there? You know, it it just goes on and on. And, you know, one case with um, a dancer from 1975, it it took me and the family, like, just ages to find out who was handling the case. You know, she was killed in Vancouver and her body was dumped in Squamish. So you would think it would be the Squamish RCMP, but it wasn't. We found out it was actually VPD. We're not sure why still. Um, and the detective did, um, to give him credit, did talk to the family member after 50-odd years, and uh, we found out that everything had been thrown out, the hammer that killed her, any DNA evidence, everything gone, even her personal jewellery and stuff. And the family had never been contacted, never, not once. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of evidence, because in terms of the Babes in the Woods case and the, the, the one that you just mentioned, um, are uh, are they better at keeping this stuff? And, and, and you know, because you never know what technology will be fifty years from now, ten years from now. Um, 
in terms of, say, storage even? Are they better with, with these things? Yeah, well, with the babes in the woods, I mean, that was just, again, serendipity. I mean, the, the only reason why they have it is because they put them on display. Mm. I mean, how odd is that, right? And it's, otherwise, they would have just been thrown out with everything else. So, you know, we got a bit lucky yeah. with that case. I, I still wonder though the 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 one the one detective, he uh, finds the, the the other bones and then he he cremates them himself without his uh, say superior knowing. Yes, yes, that wasn't his finest day. <laughs> <laughs> um, when a book like this comes out, you will doubtless get. Um, uh, people uh, emailing you or telling you stories or tips even. Um, you don't you don't really put these cases away once the book's published, do you? No, no, and I mean that's why the Facebook page is really good as well. You know, it lets people sort of come on and and, and talk, or maybe you know reminds someone of something. And um, you know, I do a podcast as well, Cold Case Canada, so that gets it out to a much wider audience um, than the book does. And you know, I'm amazed. You know, I, I pop up in. Ireland and Scandinavia occasionally in these weird spots that think, really? You're listening to my little podcast there. So, but you never know. You know, it goes yeah. across the country. And... Yeah. It, and, and, I mean, I first talked to you 15 years ago when At Home with History was published. That's right. <laughs> um, you've had, you know, this, this, this great list of books since then. I mean, could, could you have imagined, say, 15 years ago that, that uh, you'd be where you are today? Oh, my God, no. No, it was never intentional but each book seems to lead to the next one uh-huh. so, <laughs> so it's really what happened although i'll be tra- taking a break on murder i think for a while in, ter- uh, in terms of writing what, what what more do you want to do i mean are you one of these journalists who say that they've, they've got a novel in them perhaps no i don't have a novel but i do have the next book <laughs> uh-huh and it's um, kind of completely different. So I'm looking forward to sort of getting back to that one. It's uh, more of an adventure story. And with, um, do you want me to tell you about it? If if you if you if you'd like to, I mean, I, I, if if you don't want to, I can understand that as well. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it's fine. It's not. It's certainly not a secret. It's something I've been working on for for a few years now. But it's. Uh, have you heard of the thinking of the Empress of Ireland in 1914? You know, I, I read something about two months ago that mentioned the boat, but I, I don't know the story. It's an amazing story. It, um, it was hit by a liner in um, the St. Lawrence River on its way from Quebec City to Liverpool and sunk in 14 minutes, and more passengers died on that than Titanic. Yeah. But no one's ever heard of it in huh. Canada. It's not taught in the schools. It, it's just disappeared because it's, I don't know, Canadian. Um, it, it's just a travesty, and a lot of those people came from Western Canada and Vancouver, and um, so I've been sort of tracing the survivors of it, and uh, it, it's just just a fascinating story. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of my current project. I just love it when you tell stories like like that because I mean, you you, you tell uh, you know when we hear statistics of, of say a tragedy where where it involves a lot of people or even a murder case, for example. I mean, we tend to overlook that there is a life story there and. Not just one life, say, but but um, um, the sort of ripple effect of uh, many other lives affected by um, their death. And w- when you fill in the blanks, if you will, and, and tell us, you know, what their parents were like, or um, 
what what the situation was financially, etc. Um, I can't tell you how how captivating it is to read. I mean, I, I, I sat up with this book, um, Cold Case BC, and, and just just marveled at your ability to put everything together for for us, the reader. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you, John. Is that? I mean. I mentioned earlier what a privilege it is. I mean, these people come to you and, and you know, they, they give you photos. And, and as I said earlier, it's, it's a great privilege, isn't it? It really is. And, you know, at some stage, especially, you know, with Vancouver Exposed, I almost feel like I'm repository for other people's history, right, mm. and memories and things. And, and yeah, sometimes, you know, someone will send me a photo from the album and it's like, oh, my God, no one's ever seen this before. It's, you know, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, getting... I really appreciate, you know, the families that will share information about their loved ones that are missing or, or dead um, and just tell me about them. And, and, you know, so their lives have, you know, more meaning, I guess, now. And they're not just some murdered victim. Indeed, indeed. Uh, how, how do you remain hopeful and optimistic as you do? I mean, I can only imagine that writing Cold Case BC was, was probably... Um, not uh, easy emotionally, say, to have to, to, to live with all these this tragedy and, and, and a lot of the grief, if you will. Yeah, you know, working with some of the families is amazing. Uh, one of the cases, missing persons cases, was a 14-year-old girl from Comox called uh, Lindsay Nichols. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, talking to her mother, for example, who's again been relentless in keeping her case, you know, alive, um, it was amazing. She fought for 20 years to have uh, the DNA of missing persons included in the uh, National Register. You know, it took her almost 20 years to, to get that done, and she's done it. And because of her, like so many missing people have now been identified and, and families have had closure. And, you know, I just think that's so incredible. So it was great to sort of tell her story as well and, you know, how she sort of turned a tragedy into to something that's, you know, really good thing for, for other people. There are a lot of heroes in your book as well, like her. Mm, they really are. Yeah. So, yeah, that gives me hope. Um, Eve, uh, it's so nice to talk to you again. Congratulations on this book and all you do. Uh, good luck with it. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the show, Joe. The website for more is at evelazarus.com. That's where you can read her popular blog, Every Place Has a Story, and then, of course, her uh, uh, popular uh, podcast, you can uh, get links to that. Uh, that's called Cold Case Canada. This new book is called Cold Case BC, the stories behind the province's most intriguing murder and missing person cases. It's published by Arsenal Pulp Press. It's uh, author Eve Lazarus. Join me on the line from North Vancouver. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plato.